we went where no one else was going when the for-profits were pulling out. And so we came in and really showed what happened 85 years ago and how we truly changed people's lives. Welcome to episode 398 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. This week, Patrick Grace and David Goodspeed from the Oklahoma Electric Cooperative join Christopher to talk about the organization and how they've expanded from electric service to fiber optic connectivity. Patrick and David discuss operating in a state that has restrictions. They also review challenges they've had, partnerships, and financing. Now here's Christopher talking with Patrick Grace and David Goodspeed from Oklahoma Electric Cooperative. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And today I'm speaking with two folks from the Oklahoma Electric Cooperative. Uh, Patrick Grace is the CEO of Oklahoma Electric Cooperative. Welcome to the show. Happy to be here. We also have David Goodspeed, the president of OEC, that's the Oklahoma Electric Cooperative, Fiber. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you very much. It's wonderful to to be talking with you. Um, I think it's a it's always a good place to start. If you, I'll ask uh, Patrick uh, to tell us a little bit about uh, the region in which you serve in Oklahoma. Where is it? Yeah, so OEC is located in Norman, Oklahoma, which is just about twenty miles south of Oklahoma City. We primarily serve about three counties of the seventy seven here in Oklahoma, but Norman, uh, the home of the University of Oklahoma, and which most people are familiar with. So we uh, we have a kind of the suburb little bedroom community uh, that feeds into uh, Oklahoma City. Uh, but we also have some very uh, rural parts as well, typical of a lot of co-ops uh, that are around as the big cities kind of grew out into us. Uh, we have uh, some density in some places and some uh, that are still farms and ranches there. But uh, right on I-35, which cuts the country in half, and we're sitting uh, about a stone's throw, our headquarters about a stone's throw from, from that interstate. Well, I'm I'm not far from that interstate myself. I could just, you know, hop on and come down and meet y'all. <laughs> Goes all the way up into Canada, I think. Uh, pretty close, yeah. Uh, I was curious about the number of meters that you serve. Yeah, sure. So uh, fit, about 56,000 meters, and we have a little over 5,000 miles of line. So that's approximately 10.2 meters per mile. So for electric yeah. co- cooperative, that's uh, on the cool. higher end of uh, the, the dense cooperative. So about 92% residential, uh, kind of the theme with the bedroom community here. But with that comes about 60% of our plant is overhead and about 40% is underground. So when later we get into the fiber build, that, that was a factor. The complexity of our service territory also is that we are intertwined with a uh, for-profit Oklahoma Gas and Electric um, utility. We were just talking about in a meeting this morning is that we have two houses next door to each other. One's OEC and one is OG&E, service territory also intertwines, which did present some unique and challenging and, and exciting um, opportunities for the OEC fiber side of the project. I'd love to hear about that. I'm, I'm a bit confused as to how that could happen. David, I'm glad you bring that up. It's a very unique aspect of us. Oklahoma had some weird laws and some constitutional stuff that, you know, obviously the, uh, the rural cooperatives were out, but we see we're out in the rural areas, the farming communities, and the, the, the city degree would annex out uh, instead of um, kind of leaving us to our territory. As the cities annex out, the cities had a franchise. They could serve anywhere in the city limits. So as they came into our territory, they, uh, we fought for the rights that we can keep on serving where we were always serving, where 
the investor in utilities were not interested in serving years ago. And so we had uh, quite a bit of dual certified territories within city limits. So with that, uh, the with quirk of the Constitution was that we basically had open competition for every meter that anything new, anything old was you know, grandfathered in with whoever had it. So back in the late 90s and 2000s, we were hot and heavy as a competitive electrical supplier. And so we were building out trying to pick up housing additions as, as this area grew, like I said, on the in the suburbs. And uh, so was our OG&E's, uh, was our competitors. So we have housing additions where we're both in there, literally neighbors that have uh, one utility and the other. There's a street light on one side of the cul-de-sac that's OEC and on OG&E on the other side. So made for an interesting uh, dynamics when we got all this going. The uh, As a side note, that's, that's, uh, that's great. You know, competition is, is typically good. Uh, and it was good for anybody new. It was good for the developers. It was not good for all the rate payers and um, utility uh, members and customers in Oklahoma. So legislation fixed that about 10 years ago that we now have kind of defined territories uh, for anything new. But the, you know, everything's pretty much already built out. So as David said, unique challenges and opportunities that we build out and when we look at uh, getting into broadband. I'll be actually sure to ask you about that because I, I feel like that probably makes you better positioned than many utilities, uh, given that you already had to be uh, thinking in a competitive mindset um, to be ready for the fiber. It did. Uh, yeah, the, we had a little bit of competition in our blood, uh, for sure. And, uh, and that helped. What it really helped is when we looked at a feasibility study, we, uh, we knew we had a little bit bigger market than we know about just on our, our electric members. And so uh, the challenge with that is we don't know exactly what that could be as how big that could be because we don't have any of that data. Those aren't our, our uh, electrical <laughs> right. members. So uh, a little bit of faith, but we uh, luckily when we started off with the, uh, the feasibility study, it, uh, uh, it worked just with our electrical members. And so uh, whatever we, we can uh, pick up along the way with OGE accounts is just uh, even better. So, David, I in, in other interviews, you know, we've often asked, and and I feel like there's a normal progression in which um, the utility will often start with fiber for SCADA to monitor lines and things like that, and then over time uh, recognize the value in providing a service no one else will um, to the customers. So, David, tell me a little bit about how how did you first get involved with fiber and then transition to considering residential fiber. Yeah, so um, it's it's a it's a pretty fun story that I love telling, and you know uh, my my admiration for Patrick goes ex- extremely deep because you know he's a 20 year veteran at Oklahoma Electric Cooperative, started as an electrical engineer, and I and I love to say the joke because he also verifies it; he knows everything twice. So uh, you know we we kind of came on a on a crash course really of how I got here and what his vision was and what. My vision was, and how it's all worked out, is that um, I had been a vice president of the University of Oklahoma, and so I had a different, uh, you know, mindset of how things, you know, work when you're when your constituents at the at a university are students and faculty and alumni and everything else. So it was a little bit of a competitive mindset, and so coming over to, uh, you know, whenever he interviewed me and we talked about this, and he said, "Hey, we're thinking about doing this fiber to the home and fiber to the business project." 
fiber to the premise, whatever anybody's calling it nowadays. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, I'm so with you when it comes to the confusion around the terminology. You know, there's like these minor things that it would just be lovely if we could all know exactly what we were talking about with the same acronyms and abbreviations. Yeah, we used to call it fiber to the X and people are saying, what's the X, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> but, uh, but we knew that, you know, we knew that, you know, we, we were coming at it from different directions. I was coming from a, you know, competitive, let's go and, you know, take on the world. And, and there was an aspect also of, you know, an engineering type project. And I do not have the uh, engineering, you know, background is that I measure once and then go find the tape measure, but I've already cut something. Whereas, you know, Patrick <laughs> measures twice and then cuts once. So uh, I, I usually use the, uh, the analogy of, uh, you know, push it off the ledge and build the wings on the way down and see what happens. And that is very unorthodox in coming into a, you, you know, a utility that is very strategic in how things are happening and how it should be done and, and not be done and, and things like that. So it was a very, um, it was a, it's a, you know, interesting way of approaching the project from two different sides of the fence. And how do we, how did we meet in the middle and saying, okay, we're going to be doing fiber to the home. Uh, while we're also doing fiber to the home, here are the other challenges that came on and how we were supposed to do things and not do things. And it, it's really what I think is the, you know, people always ask us saying, how did y'all do this? What's the secret sauce? And I think if you start at the top there with us, you take Patrick out of the equation, you take me out of the equation, it changes the dynamic of the project completely. And then it, you know, because it falls into you know, my side of the table and his side of the table and, and how it flows through an operations type thing and, and HR and legal and all this on the co-op side. And how does it flow through on the fiber side with the network and the marketing aspect of it, right? Is that we're out there marketing a product that we want people to buy from us, whereas as, a, uh, as an electric co-op, uh, you buy a house, you call in, at the, in the state like Patrick alluded to, you call and you say, well, I, I, I don't want this, I want that. And they're saying, you, you can't do that. You, you don't have a choice. And so it's been, it's been a very, um, uh, I guess the best way to say using the term has been a wild ride in how we have got to the point to where we are right now is that, uh, you know, Jonathan Chambers from Connexon has mentioned is that we are one of the fastest, if not the fastest, uh, fiber to the home projects being done by a co-op right now. And I would put us up against any of the other big, the the, the big boys out there and, and uh, for-profits and everything else under the sun about how fast we've gone. And it's due to, you know, you know Patrick's leadership and, and, our, and also our board members who what we're doing and why we're doing it and how we're doing it and to be able to have faith in a product that that is needed greatly it doesn't matter if you live you know in in downtown norman and you have access to high speed fiber and gig speeds and everything else that if you live 20 miles outside of town and you want to see the stars and you want to live on five acres and you don't want an hoa to tell you what you can and cannot do that you should have the same amenities and that's what's happening across the country is that Patrick and I talk about this a lot is I, I keep saying we just hit everything at the right time. You know, we're not too far mm -hmm. behind the, the puck that's getting skated out there in front of us or we're not, you know, overshooting it. We're, we're keeping pace. And so it's been a fun journey so far and we really have just getting started and the really the best is yet to come. And so uh, we've just learned a lot. 
I guess is the best way to say it. Well, Patrick, let me ask you back in the early days before you probably even were in contact with David about working on this project. Yeah. Um, you know, many, many electric co-ops, as you you know better than I do, are considering this. Um, and there's more than 100 that are moving forward at this point, but the vast majority haven't. And so, you know, I'm curious what made you confident that this was a good move for your utility. When I took over as CEO, which was in the beginning of 16, I had no intention of doing anything like this. And we, in fact, I was uh, internally, or I guess in the state, I was pretty outspoken against it, saying that co-op should not be getting into this. And uh, like David said, I was an engineer and I knew everything. So I uh, didn't hesitate to tell everybody what my my thoughts were. And, uh, you know, life has a funny way of humbling you. So uh, there's two other co-ops in Oklahoma that got into fiber, the Lake Region and Northeast uh, Electric. And in the early 17, our statewide magazine, which we have a magazine that goes out to all electric co-op members in the state, did an article on those two broadband projects. And because that magazine went to all OEC members, they first got the idea that electric cooperatives are doing this. And they blew us up with uh, outpouring and members call and hitting our Facebook page, texting me, people I didn't even know had my, my phone number. Uh, the, it was really, really, really interesting. And the fundamental assumption that I had that was incorrect was that we're in a college town. We have, you know, good density. There's housing conditions going up all over uh, here. And that just means that we have good internet options. And the, our members quickly educated me otherwise. And so you have areas that are uh, a mile or two east of University of Oklahoma, which is massive. And the telecommunication providers were not bringing the, the high-speed internet out to them. And that floored me. And, uh, and from that point, I felt like, okay, uh, we need to look into this. Because I've been getting comments, but they were casual comments. Occasionally someone would write a letter uh, to me. Uh, but that's the first time I felt like there's a, a groundswell, a grassroots kind of uh, feeling. And at the end of the day, co-ops, we work for our members. And so something I had to pay attention to. So launched a feasibility study and uh, the feasibility study came back and said that, yeah, this is a great, great opportunity for a project. That was there, uh, about mid-2017. And then, and then we really took about six months of due diligence to try to uh, make sure that we really were wanting to do this. And so we took Connect on who David uh, mentioned, Jonathan Chambers and Randy Clint, who uh, really bring the expertise to our project as, a, as outside design and uh, construction management consultants and took their feasibility study and all the assumptions that went into it and, and dove into it. And once again, my engineering background came out where I uh, challenged every assumption and I drove them nuts, I'm sure. Uh, but really wanted to know what we were getting into. And at the end of the day, all the assumptions were, I thought, very, very reasonable. And, and we've learned now as we got into it that they were actually even a little conservative. And so so that's, that was the road. So very unwillingly do we get into it. But at, at the end of the day, the, uh, the members and the project really, at least on paper and from what we were hearing, was something we needed to do. You know, I, I've looked at hundreds of projects from um, municipal utilities, cooperatives, other nonprofit arrangements, and for-profits, and rarely do I find a project that is struggling where they say, we challenged every assumption. <laughs> so it's a really a good yeah. thing. <laughs> right, sure. 
uh, let me let me jump back to you, David. Um, I'm I'm curious. So you're you're one of the fastest growing. You said, um, how are you managing that? Is that um, is it just super easy to build on your poles? You have you're able to avoid any make ready, or is there a secret to your expansion? It's not a secret. What the what the success goes back to is really like like what Patrick just said is that you know mid seventeen you know, the members started going at him and, and probably non-members. I mean, if, if, if anybody, you know, says, Hey, somebody can do this. It doesn't matter if you're a member of a co-op or not. And really kind of casting the vision and saying, you know, sitting down with every, you know, VP in his, at his, at his table at that time and saying, all right, operations, you know, give me your input, give me your thoughts and, you know, metering and HR and legal and especially and member services and all that stuff. Instead of just saying, well, the members want this. This is what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to shove it down everybody's throats and you're going to like it, take it or leave it. And I, you know, I was not here. I didn't come on until September of 17. So I was not here for a lot of those, those moments and those trips. And I, or those, you know, they, I think they visited a co-op. They went out as a team and looked at this, but I think it was really setting the vision and saying, this is what our members want. Knowing that the culture that OEC that's been here for 85 years is always about the member first. No matter what, everything that I've learned in my little over two and a half years here is that if, you know, I always start the stories like the, the member that calls our phone number and asks for help, we do whatever we can do. And so I think it's really, like I said, just casting that vision and saying, we know we need to do this. We, we ought to do it. We, we, we probably know we're going to do it. Um, our VP of operations, you know, Marty Hayes, he asked him and June of 17, let me know when we're 50-50 if you think we're going to do it, because we're going to start doing things to prepare for this. So I think really is all the work that has happened prior to me getting here of saying we're going to do it. Now, um, you know, there's there's a lot of things that have happened since then that made the co-op probably a little uncomfortable, made Patrick a little uncomfortable, made me a little uncomfortable. You know, Google had danced around in Oklahoma City saying they're going to do fiber and all this stuff. So it really started probably in like 15, 14, 15, somewhere around there that people were getting excited about, you know, fiber to the home. It didn't matter if it was an AT&T or a Cox or, a, you know, a Google or, you know, somebody else. People understood what the technology could do for them because with the Internet of Things, it was pushing these conversations to the front saying, I want to do all this stuff. I've got terrible Internet. So really what, what happened was that morphing of this project that came into this idea that OEC is going to do fiber to the home. Well, OEC does everything exceptionally well, and I'm not saying that because I work here. They are. I've been a member for over 20 years, and I think I you know, had a problem once in 20 years with a, with a gopher chewing on my electrical line or something like that. So when we started doing it, the demand took off. The horse had broken the fence, and it was gone. And, you know, there are some funny stories where Patrick's like, you know, he puts his hands up by his, by his ears and, you know, this is my comfort level on marketing. And then he just stretched him out maybe a foot and he goes, and this is where I'm at right now. And I'm uncomfortable and I'm leaving. And so, you know, knowing that that's where we were going and just kind of riding this, this wave of people saying, we love you. We want you. Can you be here tomorrow? And we're saying, we just attached to our first poll, you know, in, uh, in uh, April of 2018, the, the demand has really, what it did was, is it changed the, the co-op in general, right? Is that the employee that would wear an OEC shirt to work and then they would go eat dinner someplace, nobody talked to them. Well, then what happened was, is that all of a sudden they go to a restaurant and they're being approached saying, I understand you guys are doing this fiber. 
And so they were a part of it. And it wasn't just an OEC fiber and the fiber team project. It touched everybody in enterprise architecture. It touched the linemen. It touched metering. It touched everybody that, that just went out in the public that, see, they said, we're behind you. What do we got to do? We'll do some marketing for you. I've, got, I've had members who've been doing marketing for me, and I just keep giving them the yard signs and the door hangers and the graphics to put on their HOA Facebook page. And so it really took a great sense of pride in what I started from the very beginning saying, we're doing something that we will never be able to do again in our lives. And some people will never be able to do, period, is what happened 85 years ago when my you know, mother and uncle and my grandparents were living in southwestern Oklahoma. And my mom said, you know what, I didn't get electricity until I was like second or third grade. And so to, to really set back and say, wow. We, we have an opportunity in front of us that falls into the co-op spirit and falls into that co-op mentality to say, we are doing something nobody else will ever do again. I can, you know, retire at age 80 and say, nobody will take away what I did at that time of my life. And so to, to take that pride and then use the tagline that we did is saying, going where no one else will go. You know, imagine somebody trying to market that 85 years ago to a farmer. They're just saying, we need to we need to turn on the lights when it gets dark. So that was our tagline early on is going where no one else will go. And we went where no one else was going when the for-profits were pulling out. And so we came in and really showed what happened 85 years ago and how we've truly changed people's lives. Yeah, I, I love that enthusiasm. And I, I, I fully agree in terms of... Um of that you're doing something that not everyone has an opportunity to do. I mean, this is a, it's, it's daunting to build this infrastructure, but uh, certainly it's not like these things come along every generation. It's only once every few. Um, but you know, with all the excitement that, that you can still generate, it uh, doesn't always mean that you can find the financing. And so, um, Patrick, I'm, I'm curious um, how you're able to, to finance this. I'm, I'm, were you involved with the, um, any of the auctions from the Federal Communications Commission, or have you been self-financing? Like, what's the uh, approach? So the access to low-cost financing is a huge piece of the puzzle. And we, when we did our feasibility study, we just uh, looked at it without any federal grants uh, because I think it's real important. Uh, at that time, we didn't know what, we, what was available, what we'd get, anything, and the feasibility study worked without them. And so we have been, uh, you know, 98% self-financed, meaning uh, we've taken on debt from a great partner we have, CFC, who's a, a lender to electric cooperatives, um, almost exclusively electric cooperatives. It's a um, and owned by us as well. So uh, that has been been huge. Uh, now, as we have gotten uh, along, the you know we we've, we've become their biggest uh, debt portfolio uh, because we've gone so fast and we're kind of out in front of a lot of a lot of co-ops doing this. Uh, we're we're all kind of learning as we go along. But I'll also echo a few things that that David said. You know, you asked about speed and how how we were able to go so fast and you know, I'll pardon the uh, football analogy, but we are here in Northern Oklahoma. We're, <laughs> That's we're big, acceptable. Big Sooner yeah. fans. Yeah, big Sooner fans. So, you know, when Lincoln Riley averages, you know, 40 or 50 points a game, uh, that doesn't happen from one reason only. It, it, that happens with uh, a lot of things working together, with everyone doing their job and everything coming together and the right people in the right spot and the right quarterback, right skill players, right offensive linemen, all that stuff. And I think that's really what we have. David talked about it started with the, the electric side and, you know, the whole uh, management team just really being on board. And, you know, I um, 
they were part of the whole feasibility and the due diligence process and they heard from the members and then the rest of the co-op they really understood it so you have everybody the whole the whole team really all working together well and that's that's huge uh the other the other big huge part uh you know david probably won't say this but uh david himself the his skill set and his personality you know he he came from outside the co-op and that was very intentional because the this fiber project it's a roller coaster and it changes daily and the other utility folks you know i always joked that you know we we work for an 80 year monopoly cash cow to to take the same approach and same people and same skill set and apply that to a startup, basically a startup internet company, that's hard. And so when we looked at, okay, who's going to run this or who's going to be the leader of this, that's where you know, David came from um, the university and he was at, was at Apple and had retail experience at Target before then and just someone who could, who could take us and move fast and really be responsive and, and head on a swivel and it's hard for us. It's hard for me even now when I don't even, I don't even, am in the middle of it. David's the one uh, driving the, the ship on that. But that that's huge too. And he developed a tremendous team. And then along with that, uh, he he got out and and hit the marketing really hard, uh, mainly through through social media. So we developed this big demand. I, I I talked a little bit about the members were already kind of bubbling up, and so uh, I was a little afraid of <clears throat> trying to get out there and and get too far ahead with marketing because I was afraid that we'd get run over by our members. And, uh, David, uh, he came in and just embraced it and got out there and marketed. And we have, you know, we could have a line at our door, people that are excited about it. And we have to manage that, uh, that expectation, but that, that also fueled the desire to go fast. People wanted it. So we didn't want to do it quietly. We didn't want to go out and, uh, and struggle to have, have people sign up for our services. So uh, he, he hit that well. And uh, so you, you queue all that up, mix it in a pot, and then you have a uh, like a partner like Connexon, which which we uh, we talked about that was able to scale up with us. The contractor we're using is local here in Norman, and we sat down with them, and they said we want to do all your project, and we said we want you to do all your project. How fast can you go? And they said let's go find out. To your point, we we had uh, financing that was available to us that could scale up and go as as fast as we we need to. And then the original question about make ready, we also had a very strong system uh, that we've had about uh, 15 FEMA events since uh, 1999. So either tornadoes or ice storms that have uh, really wiped out our system. And so we've had to rebuild it. And every time we re- rebuild it, we build it a little bit stronger because you end up having another big tornado or ice storm. And so maker, so fiber construction is actually able to get out uh, in front of in front of the make ready uh, quite a bit because of the, the system. Now there's also, if you ask anybody that works here, there's my, back in my time of engineering, we might've over-engineered the system a little bit. Uh, <laughs> um, um, would not, uh, would not plead innocent to that charge. Uh, it's, uh, you know, back when we were competing with OG&E, you know, OG&E, 850,000 uh, customers serve in the whole state. And then they go off into Arkansas a little bit. And we were, at the time, about 40000 So we can't really compete with them from a cost perspective just because of economies of scale. So we had to compete on service. And so when we went out there, we tried to be more, we'd be faster, be more responsive, but also just, just be better when it comes to reliability as well. So, so that was kind of how we set ourselves up back then. And it's really interesting now that 
that we're getting in the broadband, uh, once again, service is what sets us apart because we treat them like, like they're members and we're local and they can call and yell at me and yell at David and, and they, they do that regularly. If, uh, if we mess something up and it was as fast as we're going, things get cut and, and we miss things and, and you know, we have, we're trying to manage the chaos, but it is chaos. I'm curious about the other reaction, the people who are thrilled. Um, well, I guess I'm, I'm curious about all reactions. Um, th- so let me ask you, David, um, how many people are taking uh, the gigabit service rather than the, the 100 megabit that um, you have as the uh, sort of the standard tier? And, and just share any other reactions that you have from people, um, you know, in terms of especially local businesses or, or residents? Yeah, the, uh, the, the approach that we, you know, based off of Connexon's model, was just really keep it simple. So what we've done is we have a we have two packages for the internet side, which is 100 megs symmetrical speeds with no data caps for $55 a month, or a full gig symmetrical speeds, no data caps for $85 a month. And that has really just the industry and the competition on its ear, right? in the fact that um, the way we have approached it and the simplicity of it and no contracts and no hidden fees and no introductories and no all that, I, I can't imagine at, at this pace that we're doing it by, de- by dealing with 12-month contracts and, and people that are upset about this and about that and everything else. And so when, you, when we launched our, our full retail service of internet, when we actually you know, went to the first house and said, we got past the friendlies and all that other type of stuff that our first install, I can tell you took us three days and now we're averaging about 40 a day. So you can kind of understand how fast we've gone since we started offering services on February 10th of 2019. So what that's done is, is that that's equated to about 7,100 active subscribers that we have on our network currently and about 2,000 of those, a little bit shy of 2,000, are taking the gig speed. Wow, that's remarkable. And I mean, I've, I've heard some similar stories. I really appreciate you sharing the actual the numbers with us. So, um, but that's that, I just want to put a punctuation mark on that because that's remarkable. Yeah, it and it's and it's it's hard to understand. So you know, like like Patrick said, you know, coming from the world of Apple and then coming from the university, uh, I've got a pretty good finger on the pulse about you know, the, the internet of things and how people are consuming the internet and what they're wanting to do and everything else. And I, and I think, you know, somebody asked this the other day, we were at a Connexon workshop and they said, you know, what did you do to, to, to get your gig rate, take rate so high? I said, well, first off, we didn't focus on it. You know, what we focused on was the service and the price and the ease and simplicities and the, you know, everything about it and just said, you know, I always say this to Patrick, and he has to remind me because sometimes, like he said, it's an emotional roller coaster. Is that competitors do is just noise. We just focus on ourselves. We focus on what we do, and and good things will come, and bad things will come, and we'll learn from it. And we we pretty much don't repeat history. And if we do, it's it's okay. But um, really, what what's happening is is that in the rural areas, and we deliberately went to where people were, like Patrick said, two miles east of the University of Oklahoma, they had like 10 tubes or, you know, eight, eight, two or something like that. So we deliberately went that way because we knew the demand would be high on the overall take rate type scenarios and things like that. But what I think happened was, is that it's like the, uh, you know, it's uh, the only analogy I can think of real quick is that we can all remember our first car. 
and it was probably our brothers or sisters and it was a hand-me-down and you had coat hangers, <laughs> you know, with the door locks and you had everything yep. else. But when you got your first big boy or big boy, big girl job and you went and bought that car, you just said, holy cow, I can go really fast. I can drive from Norman to Minneapolis with, with, without having to worry about putting oil or antifreeze in it. I'm good to go. <laughs> I'll never have to look back again. And I think that's what's happening is that people have been so deprived of having an experience in the home whether it's doing homework for their, with their kids or watching Netflix, which is something we all take for granted, but some people have never had that experience. And I think they just said, you know what, at the value of what it, this is, because I was paying a satellite company, I've heard this particularly, people right now are saying, I hit my data caps and I'm paying a satellite company twice as much as what you're charging for the gig. And you're telling me that I can have that kind of experience in the home and never have to worry about my internet speeds or anything like that ever again, I'm taking it. And so then what that did is that exploded into them taking it and then started doing things in the home that were different. And then what, what Patrick talked about just a second ago, which I totally got caught off guard with the impact social media has, is that when we open up zones, uh, we've got friends tagging friends and saying, you're next, you're next. But what people do is they take pictures of the equipment outside of their house and they're saying, I'm getting it. And then they take pictures of their speeds. And when they do a, when we do an install, we do a speed test and we record that for the member and we show it to them. And then they're doing speed tests on their own and they're posting it on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram showing 900, 980 megs up and 987 megs down or something like that. And people are saying, holy cow, this is real. And it's only $85. Yep. Yep. It is. It is. And you just kind of sit back and just, and just watch it go. And so what it, what it, what it's really done is it, um, it's just changed the way people are living. We, we've started to see the more people are working from home. So that demands their employer paying for the gig. That's great. Or if they just want it, they can now afford it. And like I said, you, you could sit here and ask me the same question again, and I could give you a completely different answer because I really don't, truly have an answer that of what we did to say we're going to push the gig. We're not pushing either package. I'm pushing the experience. I'm pushing the service. I'm pushing the, the fact, like Patrick said, is that we, uh, I'm accessible. I've shown up in members' homes who are mad. And as the president, you're not going to get the president of a, of a, you know, of a big boy out there to show up and, at, you know, at, at, you know, at somebody's home and saying, you're right. We put those ruts in your yard or you're right you're not getting the speeds. We will get it fixed. We can do this. So um, it's, it's people just saying, you know what, I want the best. I, I, you know, I got rid of my brother's hand-me-down and I've got a, a Ford that can, that can go to Minneapolis. So I, I'm good to go. And I'll never have to think back about it. You know, they'll never have to worry about it ever again. And the last thing I'll tell about that is one day I'm standing there with one of my network technicians and he said, yeah, I could tell he had a little puzzled look on his face and he's looking at the phone. We just started offering services. So what's wrong? And he said, well, we've got a member who, you know, his speeds into his home are only like 300 megs up and down around that area. I said, okay, he's on the, he's on the gig plan, obviously, right? And he was like, yeah. And I said, uh, he, they don't know any different, you know, because the passion that the team has, they want to make sure that they've got that 900 plus the best way they possibly can. So people can drop, you know, they can do speed test and be 900. They can drop to 500. You and I, Patrick, nobody will notice the difference. The fact is, is that they've got the best of the best. We're delivering the best of the best because we are the best of the best. I will say it. And they want that and they know how important it is. And it's been just an absolute phenomenal experience to see how this all is evolving and really pushing us to what does this look like when we're, 
when we get past, you know, launching TV and phone services here pretty soon, what does the next thing look like? What do we want to do? You know, what else do we want to give them? That's why our name is OEC Fiber. It's not OEC, you know, internet or broadband. It's fiber. Fiber is the conduit and the light that gives people the ability to do what it is they want to do. And taking it back to 2017, when the members come back and now our subscribers saying, we want you to do this and you've got the pipe to do it. Let's do it. So um, it's just, it's been very, very mind boggling is the best way to say it. <laughs> well, David, I, I wish, I wish you had some enthusiasm uh, for this job. Um, you know, it just, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I get, you know, yeah, you have no idea. Some, yeah. 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 Sometimes Patrick has to uh, let me, let me kind of turn into my shoe size and let me pout and let me get frustrated. But the best thing I love to tell is that uh, in the beginning, I would always say, you need to sit down. I, I, and he, he'd always say, I, I am sitting down. And I was like, you need to hear this. And now we've got this little thing that goes back and forth between us. We always say, you can't make this stuff up. And um, it is, it's the enthusiasm. It, it is truly, you know, dealing with the adversity and dealing with the, it's okay, Patrick. We, we, this, is, this is what's really bad right now, or this is what's really good. And just, you know, he, he, he gave me a wonderful piece of advice and, you know, we all have those moments in our lives. And I think everybody listening to this can reflect to those, but whenever he just said, keep showing up, you know, tomorrow's a new day. And I think it's because of, you know, the experience of the co-op of saying we've dealt with ice storms. We've, I've got a lineman who works for me, a former lineman who works for me, who's our outside plant construction manager. And he told me one day, he said, it has nothing to do with our fiber, but, I, but I think our, the listeners will really truly appreciate and understand the complexity of this project. As he said, you know, we were out on an ice storm and they had built about five miles of line and they were sitting in a truck and he was cold and tired and he was sitting there with his, the guy that rode with him and they got out of the truck and all of a sudden they heard this cracking and the poles just started breaking again. And he said, you know, he said, we just, we just set all those poles. He said, mm -hmm. and it all broke and we had to go back and do it again. And I said, well, what'd you do? He said, well, I, I challenged, I, he said, I questioned why I'm doing this as a job. For a job. You, know, I mean, you can imagine, <laughs> right. you know, the, the feeling he had, but he said, you know what? We just did it. And Patrick has seen those moments where the co-op just said, keep showing up. You just go reset the polls. And so by just saying, just keep showing up, don't lose focus. It'll all be okay. It will all work itself out. And we're under the pressure right now. We are, we are pressure cooking right now while we're, you know, doing this podcast with you and we're getting, you know, 40 plus people hooked up today. And there's a pressure cooker going on with offering TV services and phone. But the fact that we can still not lose focus of what we're doing and deal with the adversity and deal with the emotions that come with it and deal with the excitement and the, and then you get excited and then you, and then it falls apart and then you pick it back up and do it again. It's, uh, it's been a, it's been one of the biggest joys of my life and uh, I will never forget it. That's for sure. Well, I'll have to let you get back to those uh, 40 customers for today. Um, I just, I do have to note that I had a, a mentor who was just amazing. And one day I saw her after she had coffee and uh, I almost just, my brain almost melted at the speed she was operating at. And I get the idea that you may have to deal with that, Patrick. <laughs> yes, it's, it's five-hour energy for David. It's a, <laughs> this whole project is fueled by five-hour energy. Sure. Yeah, this, this is not a uh, five-hour energy commercial, but he came in and I didn't have one. And so I grabbed a couple of Sudafed and said, this is all I got. So he just looked at me and just... <laughs> He just smiled and put his hand on his head and said, give it to me, you know, so it's, uh, I think that's the key. 
for people who want to do it or are, are, you know, whatever is that it's, it's finding the people who share the same vision and mission with you that can pick you up when you fall or you're there to pick them up when they fall. And um, you just, you, this is not easy. And if it was, then everybody would be doing it. And as you know, Randy Clint called it one, one time he said, it'd be called drinking a beer. <laughs> uh, there's only one Steve Jobs. He said, I want to put music on a device and uh, somebody had to go first. So hopefully, you know, we, uh, when we come out of this at the end, we don't know when the end is, but uh, when we get to that point, we can look back and, and just say, okay, see you tomorrow. We'll do it again. So. Well, thank you both, uh, Patrick and David. I very much appreciate the opportunity to learn more about your project. Yeah, thanks for talking to us. You got it. Thank you. That was Christopher talking with Patrick Grace and David Goodspeed from the Oklahoma Electric Cooperative about the entity and OEC fiber. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at CommunityNets. Follow MuniNetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at MuniNetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other podcasts from ILSR, Building Local Power, and the Local Energy Rules Podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount helps keep us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song, Warm Duck Shuffle, License to Creative Commons. This was episode 398 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>